You know, we don't often uh, pause to appreciate the worship team who gets here at 6 in the morning and stays here till 1 in the afternoon. Can we just appreciate them this morning? Can we just do that? I always tell them they're not much to look at, but we love them. <laughs> so, uh, it's good to see you this morning, church. It's good to be with you. Everybody who's joining us online, it's good to be with you as well. It's good to be together in the spirit of the Lord. And, 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 and let's hear what that last worship song says. Paul writes, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or in want, whether in plenty or in need, I've learned how to be content. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What a beautiful place God is leading you to, us to, all of us to, that place of perfect contentment. And, and it's real. It's a real place. It is good to see you. It's good to welcome you this morning. I, I, on a personal note, I just want to take a minute to thank so many of you for being so kind in this last week, uh, texting, calling, saying hi, uh, and asking about Rhonda. Rhonda, my wife, uh, was terribly sick. She actually, for the first time in our married life, almost 40 years, she missed seven straight days of work, if you can imagine. She was down sick for seven straight days. You say, well, where is she this morning? She's down where she wants to be, teaching in children's church here in second service. But she's back. Thank you for caring for her, for praying for her, for asking about her. And like I told her, I'll, I'll tell you the same thing, that now after being that sick, she can understand what man flu is really like. It's this, this kind of, that's it, honey. It's right there. That's what we men experience and live with, so... No, but thank you for your prayers, and thank you for your care. Uh, she's back. And also, huge thanks uh, to so many people who served. We had a beautiful memorial service yesterday for Julie Bosiger, uh, Russ's bride. She graduated, went home. Spirit of the Lord was so strong. You know, there's nothing like a Christian memorial service where we gather and we rejoice, and that was very real yesterday. And thanks to all who served and made that happen. Thanks to all who are so faithful to give. <laughs> You're probably noticing that for three weeks, the construction equipment hasn't moved. Uh, it will move. It actually does move. Uh, we're just battling through all those delays, so we'll get there. A um, couple things uh, to call your attention to just by way of announcements briefly before we open God's Word together. The uh, first thing is that uh, after third service this morning at 1230, there will be a, a Young Married Connection luncheon. Uh, this happens every month. Um, yeah, there's an address on the back of your bulletin. If you turn it over, you'll see the address for where the Young Married's Connection Luncheon is to be. If you're 30 and under, we'd love to have you be part of that. Bring your kids. Food's provided. It's a great time of fellowship. So that'll be happening after third service this morning at 1230. And then, uh, fellas, tomorrow night is our Band of Brothers dinner, our monthly men's dinner. That's going to happen here in the sanctuary at 630. You're invited. Everybody's invited. No cost. Bring a friend. Uh, tomorrow night, special, we're going to be hearing from Pastor Dave and Bill Churchill. You may not know Bill, but he's got quite a story he's going to be sharing. So that'll be happening tomorrow night, 6.30, here in the sanctuary. Be aware of that. This weekend, last call, Friday and Saturday, will be the Kids Elevate Conference Retreat, Overnight Retreat, just our church 
Pastor Allison and her team taking second through fifth graders away for an overnighter. Uh, if you haven't signed your kids up and you want to, your grandkids, please, we need to hear from you right away. Uh, if the cost is a challenge, let us know. Uh, we're a church family. We provide for each other. We want to make sure your kids, grandkids can go to that. So give us a holler. Uh, scan the code on the seat in front of you. Stop by the guest center, call the church, whatever. Elevate Kids Conference is coming up this week. And then the last thing is we're just three weeks away, ladies, from the Northwest Women's Conference. And when you leave today, there'll be some ladies in the foyer handing out information about that. But that, again, is going to happen on a Friday, Saturday uh, here in Tacoma, nearby the Northwest Women's Conference. Uh, love to have you be a part of that. Again, if you're in real need of a scholarship, we're there for you. We're in this together. So good things to note um, and to be aware of. Grab your Bible, if you would, uh, church, this morning and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 4. Five, uh, you will remember that uh, in 2023 we've we've set ourselves together as as God's family to go all the way through Luke's gospel, and there's a, a very specific reason for that. We live in a time when there is a lot of advertising about Jesus, a lot of talk about Jesus that isn't true to who He is. And we said that, you know what, the way to, to know that we're experiencing the real Jesus is to walk with him through the story of his ministry. And so we're together going all the way through Luke's gospel. We're kind of calling it a road trip with Jesus. Instead of reading the billboards, we're climbing right in the cab of the truck with him. And this morning we're in Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, and and I know that you have noticed, as I have, that sometimes it's hard to let go of something we have a grip on, even when we know we should. Sometimes it's hard to let go of something, even when down deep we want to, even when we know we should, even though we know it's the way forward. I, I like to tell the story about water skiing at a church picnic and, uh, you know, the boat pulled me off and I crashed. And in that moment, you're supposed to let go, but I didn't. And so my shorts came off at the church picnic. You know, everybody laughed and that's funny and all that. But I remember thinking at the time, some people can't get that vision out of their heads, but I remember at the time thinking, why didn't I just let go? <laughs> you know, why didn't I just let go? I remember another time when we were on a whitewater rafting trip. We got stranded in the middle of the river. Our boat got destroyed. It was some intense whitewater. And so they had to do a rescue. We were all dumped in the river. We're clinging to a rock chest deep in the water. And they string lines and go through this rescue thing. And they drop down this preserver. And I'm supposed to grab onto this preserver and let go of the rock. And that was hard to do. Because the rock felt safe. But the reality was that by holding on to the rock, all I was ever going to do was stay cold and wet. The only way out, the only way forward, was to let go and grab onto the preserver. And I share that with us this morning because in the passage of Scripture that we're in, we're going to hear Jesus invite a man to let go of what he thinks he needs, to let go of what he already has so that he can be led forward into way more than he imagined. And church, here's the thing. Jesus wants to do that in your life and mine. He is a living God. He's not just a, a subject we study. He's a living, present God in this moment, in all moments. And this morning, we're going to see him invite a man to let go. And then we're going to hear the spirit of Jesus invite us 
to do that same kind of letting go. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Here's what the Bible tells us. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. Remember, we, we heard last week that Jesus has power over the invisible influences in our lives, our health, the demonic, the spiritual. And then we understood that the greatest invisible influence in our life is our ideas about God. And, and so Jesus was always teaching, shaping, seeking to shape the way I think and feel about God. He's doing that in this moment. He's continuing that ministry. He's doing it beside this lake. And the scripture says, in the middle of that, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Now, let me help you feel this moment, okay? This, these two boats, these fishermen, their nets, this is, this is a job site moment. These guys have been out all night pursuing their livelihood. They've been fishing. It was done at night. The water's cooler. The fish come higher. And so in those days, they would fish from about the middle of the night into the early morning because that was the best time when the fish were closest to the surface, most available. So these guys have been fishing all night. Now it's the end of a long work day. And they're washing their nets. They pulled their boats up on shore. They're putting their gear away. They're getting ready to go home, get some sleep, get some breakfast, get on with resting. And into this moment comes Jesus bringing a crowd, teaching the gospel right into the middle of their job site. And Jesus sees an opportunity on that job site to kind of take advantage of some natural acoustics. So the Bible says he got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Not hard to understand. You know, your voice carries a little further over water. Jesus has taken advantage of that so more people can hear. That's why I'm wearing a mic this morning. Same idea. And as he's teaching, I, I want you to understand what this moment would have felt like to, to Simon Peter and to his buddies. They're getting ready to go home. They were planning just a little bit ago to head home, to hit the sack, to get something to eat. And now Jesus is interrupting all that. And when he says to Simon, hey, you know your boat that you just pulled out of the water, that you just cleaned up, that you just stowed all your gear in, that you're getting ready to leave for the day, would you, would you put out again? Would you help me in what I'm doing? And I say that because we want to feel how, how unwelcome this moment would have been to a very real part of, of Peter. You know, he, he, he becomes, by agreeing to this, and we don't know why he agreed, although it's entirely possible that it was just because of peer pressure. He's surrounded by friends, family, business contacts, people he's lived in all his life. He's a Jew, so he wants to be known as someone who respects and honors the things of God. And so he gets sucked into this, and, and now he becomes a captive audience on the boat at the end of the day when all he really wants to do on one level is to go home. We might think of this as kind of a Ben Affleck at the Oscars moment that Peter's having in the boat. You know, if you followed that Twitter on Twitter here a little bit ago, he wants to be anywhere else. Lots of people are like that, but when you let God inconvenience you, church, hear me please, when you let God inconvenience you, when you let him interrupt you, when you let him change your agenda, you open the door to the experience of him in your life. When you and I do that, we 
opened the door. Lots of people sincerely want God to teach them, but they want to do it without listening to his word or without taking his word seriously. They don't want to be interrupted or inconvenienced, but they think they want to be taught. There's no way forward. Lots of people want God to bless them without learning his ways, without being interrupted and inconvenienced by his ways. Lots of people want him to answer their prayers without them ever taking prayer seriously as much more than a, than a laundry list we give to God of things we want or need. This is like that. Like a good parent, God is always inviting us to do what we don't think we want to do so that we can become what we've always want to become. And that's what Jesus is doing with Peter in this moment. So Peter's there in the boat with him, helping out, kind of a, a bystander, a captive audience. And the scripture says, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, you think the first invitation was unwelcome. Now that Peter's endured all this, he's probably got the nods. He's trying to keep himself together. Now, Jesus says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. In other words, you know what you did all night fruitlessly? You know how hard you worked all night and it yielded nothing? I want you to go back to those same waters. Now in the daytime, when you know it's not the ideal time to fish, that in fact it's the worst time to fish, I want you to put out into deep water again, undo all of your cleaning up on the job site that you did, and let down the nets again for a catch. And you can hear Peter's heart in his answer. He says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. In other words, Jesus, you're not a fisherman. You don't understand this lake like I do. The time to fish has passed. But Jesus, nevertheless, invites Simon to trust what he's saying more than what Simon is sure he knows. And church, can I tell you, he's going to do that again and again in your life and mine. He's going to step into our lives. He's going to invite us to do, to believe to act in ways that we think, based on what we know, are leading nowhere. But because he knows us better than we do, he's leading us into those places that we might experience what he is doing in our lives. The experience of God's calling in your life, by the way, doesn't depend on your feeling good about it, only accepting his invitation. Peter's reluctant. But he's going to agree anyway. He's going to go anyway. Because you say so, Peter says, verse 5, I will let down the nets. Think about this moment because, church, this moment will happen as you walk with the Spirit of Jesus in your life. He's going to have moments like this where he's going to say, I know you're tired. I know you, you've done all you think you can do. I know that as far as you can see, there's, there's nothing left to discover, to experience, to encounter. But I'm telling you, I want you to put out into deep water now. I want you to put out into deep water in this moment. And when you do, something's going to happen. What he was seeking to do is to lead Simon beyond what he thinks he knows and he's doing the same thing with us. Church, amazing things can happen when we allow that to happen. 
you know, before you and I had kids, we sort of thought we knew what it was about, right? We saw other parents, we saw our parents, we looked around, we said, kids, all right, I'm ready for that, ha-ha, <laughs> right? Then you have them, and they come home, and you are immediately overwhelmed. And you realize, oh my goodness, there is way more to this than I thought there was. There is, and then you continue to make that discovery going forward, amen. Something like that is happening here. God wants you to know there's way more ahead of you in him than you think there is. Are you willing to hear that? Are you willing to hear that here and now? Are you willing to hear that in this season of your life? Some of us are saying, you know what, Pastor Greg, I'm old. I'm too old. There's nothing ahead of me anymore. Tell that to Moses. Tell that to Abraham. <laughs> Tell that to the Apostle John. We go on and on. No, no, no. There's always more ahead, and Jesus is always inviting us into it. So Peter says, look at verse 5. Peter says, because you say so, I'll let down the nets. God invites you to let down your nets in deep water. You know, last week, something began to happen in our midst, and it's continued to happen all week. And we're just saying, Holy Spirit, lead us where you want to lead us. And you know, part of where he leads us, the Bible says, is into things like spiritual gifts, like speaking in tongues, like gifts of healing, like words of knowledge and words of wisdom and all kinds of stuff. Somebody emailed me and said, Pastor Greg, I'm ready for whatever God has, but please, no snake handling. I said, yeah, we won't go there. Don't worry about that. But in the same way that Jesus is inviting Peter to let out into deep water and let down his nets, he's inviting us. He's inviting you to go to places that you've never experienced, that you don't know how it will turn out because he's leading. We're always going to let him lead. Peter does that. And then the scripture says, when they had done so, put out of the deep water, let down the nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. In other words, what they thought couldn't happen, what they thought wouldn't happen, what they thought was not in the cards for this day, came true in an abundance they couldn't have guessed beforehand. Now, here's an important moment. It's not about the fish, okay? It would be easy to say, wow, God is saying that, you know, he's going to pour out multiple fish on my business and I'm going to be wealthy beyond my wildest dreams. And, and that's what this is about. No, that's not what this is about. You see, church, Jesus is always infinitely more interested in what's going on inside of you and me than what's going on outside of you and me. And so in this moment, sure, Jesus is, is, is bringing all these fish into the boat. But in a minute, we're going to see Peter, James, and John just ditch them all. Because it really wasn't about the fish. They don't go back and celebrate and say, wow, we, you know, we've gotten three weeks catch in one day. Let's go home. Let's add the shares. It's a shopping trip this afternoon. No, they're actually going to leave these fish behind because something so much more significant is happening. God wants you and I to know that there's more to your life 
and more to his calling in your life than you think you know. Now, it's at this point that something really amazing happens in this story that's really the the center, the turning point of the story. And we find that in verse 8. The scripture says that when, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and he said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. We, we would expect Peter to go, wow, you're the boss, fish boy, we love you, hang out here, help us out, but he doesn't. He has a very different reaction that comes from a much deeper place. You see, all Peter's life, he's known that God was there. He's known that the supernatural was real. He's known that the spiritual is most real. He's known this all his life. But he's pretended that he doesn't know it. And he's avoided engaging it. And now in this moment, though, he can't. And, and when he opens his mind, when he allows himself to be that real, that authentic, he's overcome with a sense of how far, far short he falls of the man he should be. And it's in this moment, church, that you and I can relate to Peter. Because we haven't been what we should. We haven't done what we could. We haven't said what we should. We have fallen short. And Peter gets so real in this moment with God that he falls at his feet and he says, the truth is, God, I'm a sinful man. Friends, can I just tell you that when you open your heart that wide to be that honest and real with God, you open your life to experience him beyond anything you've ever known. Peter says, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And the answer that Jesus gives to this moment in his life is incredibly powerful. But before we go there, let me pause for just a moment. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been numb? Raise your hand if you've had a part of your body numb before. Most of us have, right? Usually it's you go to the dentist's office, they stick that thing in your mouth, and then you go around slobbering all day and sounding like you're, you know, speech impaired and, you know, feel like your head's giant. And we've all gone through numbness sometimes. Most of us experience it with something like the dentist's office. I, I know that when I was diagnosed with MS 13 years ago, the way that it was diagnosed is I went numb from my feet all the way up to the upper part of my body for uh, a couple of weeks. It lasted, and that was kind of the tip-off led to the diagnosis and all that. It's a, a weird, awkward feeling because you could hurt yourself and not even know it. So you have to be careful, you know, for that season when those symptoms are there. But as dangerous as it is to be numb in your body, it's infinitely more dangerous to be numb in your spirit, to be numb in your soul. You know, back in 2 Samuel chapter 12, the Bible tells us the story of King David experiencing this very thing. And we don't have to turn there. I'm just going to thumbnail the story for a moment in case you don't know it. But David enters a season of his life where he kind of is dissipating and wandering and not focusing on purpose and meaning and calling. And the scripture says that when the time when kings went off to war, David didn't. He stayed home. He sent other people to do it. He just decided to be a couch potato for a season. 
And in that uh, indolence, he became overcome by temptation. He saw another man's wife. He allowed himself to cross boundaries. And the next thing you knew, both of them were crossing boundaries. And then in his desperation to keep what was happening secret, he began to manipulate and scheme and lie and deceive. And he, he took steps that he would never have dreamed of taking as a young man of God. But now as a middle-aged man of God whose heart was getting numb, he increasingly engaged in. He, he arranged, the Bible says in one of the ugliest stories in Scripture, he arranged for this woman with whom he was having an affair, for her husband to be abandoned on the front line of battle by the other soldiers and to be killed so that he could take her as his wife. It's just awful. And the Bible says, though, as awful as it was, David was numb. He didn't even see it. He couldn't feel it. He couldn't recognize it. He couldn't look in the mirror and go, what is wrong with me? He had lost that ability. God graciously sent a prophet, Nathan. Nathan comes to him and he tells David a story because Nathan the prophet knows there's a difference between saying something and being heard. Nathan wants to be heard. So he says, David, let me tell you about a man in your kingdom. This is a rich man. He's got a thousand sheep, huge herds and flocks. And his neighbor is a poor man with only one sheep. And when a friend of the rich man came to his house, the rich man said, well, I want to slaughter one of, my, one of the sheep and have a feast. And he said, but uh, rather than take one of my own, I'm going to take my neighbor's only sheep. And he offered that sheep and prepared it for dinner and stole the only thing the poor man had. And David came off of his throne in a rage. And he said, bring that man here. I will execute judgment on him. I will bring justice into his life. He's so numb. He can't tell that it's him. And in that moment, Nathan says, David, you're that man. You're that man. And God doesn't do that because he hates David. He does that because he loves him and he's seeking to drag him out of this numbness. We can fall into that as well. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul writes these words. He says, verse 17, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, dear friends, people of God, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Here comes the numb. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. In other words, they're numb. They can't feel what's really going on in their spirits. When your spirit is numb, you can't even feel what you're missing. You can't even want what you don't have. You're that far gone. When you get near to Jesus, like Peter did in this moment, two things happen. The first is you become aware that you are a sinner. Way down deep in your heart, you become aware of that, that you have fallen so far short. And then God in that moment is able to give you a new and better way. In that moment, hear me, church, in that moment, you open the door of your heart wide enough to let God come in 
in the way that you really need. Peter says, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. He's feeling that moment. He's having that King David moment. And Jesus, look at how our, our Lord, our Savior responds to him. He says to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Peter. Yeah, now you see the truth about you and you're tempted to be afraid, but don't be afraid. Because from now on, you will catch men. From now on, Peter, you're going to be more than just a fisherman looking out for yourself, more than just a guy taking care of his own house, his own family, more than just a guy working for a living night in and night out. All those things are going to continue to happen. But now, Peter, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. I'm going to make you more than just a blessed man. I'm going to make you someone who blesses others whose life is a God-led life of blessing others. Matthew tells us that Jesus said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's an echo of what God said to Abraham at the very beginning of this whole story of the people of God. He said, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing. And now, because Peter's heart is open wide enough, Jesus is offering him that identity, that calling, that meaning, that purpose, that life. Dear friends, please understand, you and me won't surrender to God until we know that we need to. And we won't know we need to until we confess to him that we're sinners, until we get that real with him, until we admit that to him. You know, look, Peter isn't going from being a a non-God-worshipping man to a God-worshipping man in this moment. He's grown up in Israel. He's been to the temple regularly, but he's also been avoiding the truth about himself. And in this moment, it comes home to him. It's when we admit the truth that the truth comes into us. It's when we go to God that God comes into us. It's when we open our hearts to him that we experience what he has for us. Now, it's important to know that after this, Peter still did some fishing. He was still about that business, but he was about so much more from this moment forward. Now he's not just working for a living. He's working to live, to experience real life in all its abundance and fullness. Church, understand God wants to do that with you. You know, when I was early in my life uh, growing up, I, I was pretty good at athletics, and I got kind of an identity from that. It sort of became my, my self-esteem coping mechanism. I, I'm good at sports. And then as I got older and began to lose that ability, I said, well, who am I if I'm not that guy? I remember pastoring in a college town and, and surrounded by college students, and I was saying to God, well, who am I if I'm not the guy that can always keep up with the best of them? And he said, Greg, I want you to be something better. He said, I want you to be a father figure to these college students. I said, father figure? I'm not sure how I feel about that. I'm not sure I'm old enough for that. But he said, you know what, Greg? You're going to love that more than what you have now. If you'll let me change your identity, you're going to find that you love it more. And you know what? I did. And I do. And the older I get, that call keeps coming back again and again. Church, God has that kind of calling for every one of us. He wants to make you more than blessed. He wants to make you a blessing. And it happens when you get real and serious and honest with him. 
about your sin, about your sinfulness. That's what opened Peter's heart. Now, the rest of this chapter 5, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in it because we don't have a whole lot of time. And in a little bit of a way, it's a rehearsal of what we saw last week in chapter 4. Jesus is going to go to this uh, man who is suffering with leprosy. He's going to heal him. And he says to him, verse 14, go show yourself to the priest, offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to him. Jesus was always doing this. When you open your heart to him, he's always going to call you into a local church. He's going to call you into fellowship with other believers because that's the best way we experience him in worship, in fellowship, in serving together, in being together. And, and he calls this man to that. He's going to call you to that as well. He's not going to say to Peter, hey, we're off on a, a, a parachurch mission. He's going to say, no, Peter, we're going to be part of the synagogue, but I'm going to change your life from the inside out. And then he goes to another town. He's teaching. We read about that in uh, chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. And some men bring a paralytic on a mat, and they dig a hole in the roof because there's such a crowd. They can't get him to Jesus. They want him to be healed. They know Jesus heals, and they lower him through the roof. And Jesus, in a continuation of what we've been talking about, does not say to the man, oh, you're paralyzed. I see that's the big problem in your life. Here, let me heal you. He doesn't do that. Not first. Instead, when this paralyzed man is lowered into, in, in front of him, Jesus looks at the man like he looks at us, and he says, hey, your sins are forgiven. I'm infinitely more concerned about the inside of you than the outside of you. Right here and now, I forgive your sins. The Bible says that when he said that, you know, the crowd said, who does this guy think he is? In other words, their minds were blown that somebody would claim to be able to forgive sin. But the reality is he can. And then Jesus said this. He said, so that you may know that I have the authority to forgive your sins, rise, take up your mat and walk. I'm going to heal your body so that you will know that I can heal your soul. And church, he's saying that to us right now. And he's saying that to you and me in this moment. Yeah. See, it's that change on the inside that really transforms us. That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I tell you, get up and take your mat and go. He stood up in front of them and went home praising God. Jesus has that kind of authority in your life. You say, I don't really need God to forgive me. I need to find some way to forgive myself. Baloney. You don't have the last word on you. You don't get to say that. He has too much authority. He's the one who has the last word on you and me. And he wants you to know that, just like he wants Peter to know that. And he says to us, hey... If you will open your heart and confess your sin to me, I'll meet you in the middle of that and utterly change who you are. We're almost done. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, the Bible says this. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Jesus told Nicodemus that when you believe in me, you are born again. And Jesus is offering that to you and to us, now and here, just like he did then. The question is, will you get as real with him as Simon Peter did in the boat? Oh, Lord, 
the truth is I'm a sinful man. Jesus says, yeah, now you're, now you're real. Now you're honest. I can, let me finish with a story this morning. Bret Hart tells the story of a California gold rush mining camp called Roaring Camp that was founded in 1846 in the mountains of Central California and quickly earned a reputation as the most violent, wicked, and dangerous place in the West. This mining camp was populated entirely by men who came for one reason and one reason only, and that was to get rich quick. There was only one woman in the camp. She was only there briefly. Her name was Cherokee Sal. She got there, she got sick, and then she died giving birth to a child, a little girl that the men of the camp named Luck. And with her passing, they left this newborn baby with this camp filled with wicked, violent, drunk, get-rich-quick guys. Guys didn't know what to do at first, so they put the baby in a box with some rags and said, well, let's keep her where we can keep an eye on her and feed her periodically. And, but it, it didn't feel right. The guys started to think, man, we, there's something more that's supposed to happen here. And so they discussed it, and they said, well, you know, the baby needs like a cradle, like a baby cradle, and we don't have anything like that here. So, so they got a group of three guys together and sent them on an 80-mile round-trip journey on horseback to Sacramento to get a baby cradle and to bring it back so that, you know, the baby would have some place to sleep. And they thought that would be the end of the story, but once they got that back, it still didn't feel right. The baby needed more than rags and old burlap sacks from uh, mining supplies. And so they said, you know what, we, we got to go back to Sacramento again. And they sent another team on an 80-mile round trip to bring back blankets and baby supplies and diapers. But that's when they noticed that the floor of the room where she slept was just a filthy mess. Man, a baby can't be in a room with a floor this dirty. And so a group of them got together and started scrubbing the floor. But halfway through it, they realized, we, we're never going to get this clean enough. Let's just tear it up and build a whole new floor. And the next thing you know, they're building a whole new room for the baby that's clean. And when they got done with that, they said, oh, goodness. There's no curtains. There's no pictures on the wall. There's no glass in the window. We got to go to Sacramento again. And so they made the trip, came back, brought all of that, built this room. Then they realized that every night their drinking and fighting in the bar was waking up the baby. So, so they banned all drunkenness and all brawling in the camp. And that made them sober enough to realize that they were one filthy bunch of fellas. And they realized that all their time spent in the mine, they never took baths. They decided they needed to get cleaned up to be around the baby. So they sold the general store out of soap and shaving gear and cologne. And yeah, you guessed it, sent to Sacramento for another wagon full of all that stuff got it back and got things cleaned up. And then the men found that they were all constantly watching her and talking about her and crying over her as she grew. They brought her little gifts and they decorated the room she was in. And they had long discussions over how she should be raised and taught and cared for and treated. And pretty soon the whole place was utterly changed by one little baby and Roaring Camp became the safest, cleanest, and happiest mining town in the West. And the men said they never knew they could feel such joy. And striking at rich never seemed less important.
because now they were the men who were raising little luck. In the same way, church, God wants to take your life and mine and make it a blessing to others. A life that means something, a life that matters, a life that will satisfy us. And it happens when you get as real with him as Peter did in that boat and you say, Lord, I'm a, I'm a sinful woman. I'm a sinful man. Because in that moment, your heart's wide enough, open, that he can say, well, guess what? Here's what I want to make you. Here's who you can be. Here's who you really want to be. And he makes that offer this morning. He makes that offer right here and right now. Would you bow your heads? Would you close your eyes with me? Maybe as you sit here this morning, you have never gone to God personally yourself and said, God, I'm a sinner. I've disobeyed. I've been wrong. I've been bad. I've never admitted that to you, God, but I do now. You, you can tell him he's listening. He's in the boat of this moment with you, and he's listening. And he'll hear your heart, and he'll see your honesty. And it's in that moment that he says, be my daughter, be my son. Let me show you who you can be, who you were made to be, a fisher of men, a person whose life is a blessing to those around you. God wants that for you, church. If that's you and you've never told him you're a sinner before, you can do it now and he will hear you. You say, Jesus, I receive you into my heart. And in that moment, you're a new creation. You are born again. This is a spiritual thing, and it happens right here. Maybe you did that, but along the way, along the way, you just got preoccupied with so many other things. You forgot that calling, and most importantly, you forgot that you're still a sinner. Jesus knows that already. He just invites you to admit it to yourself. And in this moment, as you do that, he says, hey, don't be afraid. I've got a plan for you. I've got a calling for you. I've got a life for you. It begins this moment when you open your heart wide enough to surrender to me. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, we thank you for your spirit that speaks to us right now. God, as we go from here, let it be with an awareness that your invitation is for us. That there's so much more that you have for us and that is found as we seek you. We pray for that. God, as we go from here, let us hear you inviting us to not be afraid and to know that we can be fishers of men blessings to others. We pray for that. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Yeah. This is real. This is the most real thing. So now may the love of God the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this morning. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon, church.